Hi, I'm Guy Powell, and welcome to the next episode of The Backstory on Marketing. If you haven't already done so, please visit ProRelevant.com and sign up for all of these episodes and podcasts. I am the author of the newly released book, The Post-COVID Marketing Machine, Prepare Your Team to Win. And you can find out more information on this at marketingmachine.prorelevant.com. Getting exposure in PR is something that all businesses want. They have great solutions and products and services, but how can they get the word out? That's what Mickey Kennedy is all about. Today, I'll be interviewing Mickey of e-releases, and that's what he does. So let me tell you a little bit about Mickey. Mickey Kennedy is the founder and president of e-releases, the small business leader for press release distribution, now celebrating 24 years in business. He is an expert at helping small businesses increase their visibility and credibility, and he's here today to share some valuable insights. Mickey lives in Baltimore County with his family and two feuding cats. He enjoys British science fiction and acknowledges an unhealthy addiction to diet soda. Mickey holds an MFA in creative writing with an emphasis in poetry from George Mason University. And he still writes poetry most Monday nights with a group of fellow misfits in Brunswick, Maryland. But best of all, he has his two feuding cats. Uh, welcome, Mickey. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, Mickey, uh, let's get started here. Tell us your backstory on how you got involved in marketing. So I uh, was working uh, waiting tables after graduating with the MFA, because what do you do with a degree in poetry? And I realized that I did not have the knees and ankles and back for working on my feet 12 hour shifts daily. And so I said, I need a safe office job applied for a few and got hired at a telecom research startup as employee number three, because they saw writing on my resume. They said, Hey, figure out press releases for us and send them out to the media. And so I did, and we sent them out by fax and I got really good at it. We published a lot of different uh, telecom numbers and statistics, which doesn't sound great, but there's a lot of anomalies and little weird things that are were in there. And I would pick those apart and talk about the story of why certain things are working the way they are. And it resonated. Uh, we routinely got picked up in the Financial Times, Economist, Washington Post, all major publications globally. And I just said to myself, why aren't other people doing this? It's not difficult. Uh, it's just a matter of, um, you know, crafting a story and getting a story out there. Well, absolutely. And, uh, and you know, one of the things that I've learned about PR is that, uh, you know, you're, 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 you're definitely crafting a story. It has to be newsworthy. And, and it also has to be something that, that kind of fits into what that editor wants. And, uh, and when you do that, then you really and truly can increase visibility uh, for your clients, or in this case, for your telecom uh, uh, company. And um, so tell us how you, though, can get regular local media coverage without spending a dime. Well, local media is the one area where I always tell people who call us that you don't need e-releases. Um, local media is the easiest media to get, and it's not daunting. I mean, if you think about it, there's probably less than 10 people in your local area that would or could ever write about you. Find out who those 10 people are, do a little research, 
Uh, look at your local paper who who writes about your industry. Look at if you're lucky enough to have a business magazine or business newspaper. Um, look there. Uh, determine who that is. You just call and ask for their email address or an introduction and get that uh, email. Develop your Rolodex. Um, you can also do radio and TV if there's occasional segments that spotlight local businesses. You know, do your due diligence, find out who the producer or booker of those segments are and add them to your Rolodex. Then on a regular basis, just reach out to them and give them a good lead uh, for a story that would incorporate you. If you see that there's something trending in your industry that's really hot, you could just introduce uh, with that saying, hey, I noticed that, um, you know, going green is really uh, powerful in the printing industry right now. And I'd love to tell you about some of the initiatives we're doing at my company. We're, you know, a local printing company, and this is what we do. Um, also, I think adding a really great quote or soundbite and putting that in there is also a great way uh, to get their attention because the journalist can build a whole story around a great soundbite or quote. And so you don't need to write a press release. You don't need to pay a service to do it. It's really as easy as just sending an email. And I recommend that people do this four to six times a year. Um, you know, do a little brainstorming, look at what competitors are doing in other markets. Um, you know, if there's other local businesses in other cities, you could like create Google alerts for that. And when they get in the news, you could say, hey, uh, is this something possibly I could do with a local angle for me and sort of pitch it to the, the media? Not that there's another story out there, but hey, I've noticed this trend and here's how I align myself as a news story for you. And so uh, I, I, I think local media is, is, is great practice. It's about building uh, relationships. And the more that you stay in contact with these journalists, the more you're going to be at front of mind. And after a while, you'll notice they'll reach out to you when they're working on a story and they're looking to plug in a local company and, and they just thought of you, that you'd be a natural fit for that. Wow, uh, man, it sounds uh, super easy. I, uh, I'm going to have to definitely try that. I uh, appreciate that. That's really, uh, that's really valuable. So you're thinking about uh, four to six times a year, you can start to build up, so to speak, a rapport and awareness, I guess, and visibility with that, uh, that editor so that they'll uh, potentially think of you when you when when they then might have a story that relates to your business. Sure, absolutely. Wow. That's fantastic. Thank you for that. So uh, one of the things that uh, that I've often found difficult, uh, and especially for small businesses, and I hate to say it, it's it's yeah, sometimes it's even hard for me, is how to uh, really clearly and accurately and concisely define what your unique selling proposition is, and uh, and especially so that you are kind of. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what the right term is, but so you are irresistible uh, to the media so that they will go, wow, that is interesting. So tell us about that. Tell us what you uh, what you think about that and what you might do there. So I, I think that so many people uh, don't think about what makes them unique or differentiates them in the marketplace. Um, and I, I just as an example, the customers that we work with that do the best in the media are startups. And they're not heavily funded. They're usually like bootstrapping, but they do really well. And the one thing that they share in common is they have their elevator pitch down. 
they know in a sentence or two exactly what they do and and what they're doing that's different than everybody else and what's exciting and i think that any small business could learn from that so many times when i talk to small businesses and ask them what their unique selling proposition is what they do differently than everybody else they said we just sell golf clubs like everybody else does. We're just an online retailer. And I'm like, but you must do something different. And they're like, well, we try to be really inexpensive. And I'm just like, well, if you don't have a unique selling proposition, the only thing you can compete on is price. And eventually you're going to put yourself out of business by just continuing to drive down prices and profitability. Um, you know, type of USP that you could consider is, you know, shipping. Are, are you the fastest to get clubs out nationwide or or do you have membership uh free videos and training on how to you know improve your golf swing and things like that or is it uh you know your culture or you know the 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 ambiance that you've created you're are you whimsical do you have funny little uh mascot or something like that any of these can help your usp uh, but at the end of the day it's it's really what defines you in the marketplace and makes you different from everybody else um i mean uh everybody sort of tries to craft something that's a little bit unique for them and you, you really want to sort of build on that and uh, create an asset that you can protect. And people in the marketplace will say, oh, uh, if you're looking for someone in that space, you definitely want to go to them. They know what they're doing. They do this really well. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know what? One of the things, though, because uh, I... Um, I've been in marketing a long time and so have you. And, and so when I talk to uh, different vendors that come to the house and, you know, they've got a, you know, they're going to do some repair or they're going to do the extermination or the termites or whatever it happens to be, you know, I always ask them as, as I'm interviewing them, I say, so, so why are you guys different? And uh, to your point, many of them really don't know other than, well, we're going to give you a great price or we're going to be, you know, right there when you need us. And they, and I hate to say it, they all say the same thing. I like your point though, that, you know, okay, so your service is great. Your prices are, you know, are good or whatever, whether they are or not, you know, you, you, you don't necessarily know right away, but I like your, your idea of, uh, well, you know, we work in a whimsical way. I'm not the chief, uh, you know, the, the, I'm the chief bug swatter, you know, or something like that. I don't right. know what it is, but something that, you know, gets across that, Hey, there's an emotional uh, connection be, uh, between a service provider that's, you know, that that has really nothing different versus somebody that does. I really like what you're talking about. Um, yeah, so, uh, uh, and, and actually that same thing applies to whether you're a small business or a, a large business, you know, you think about uh, you know, what's the difference between, uh, you know, Olay and, and Dove from a, uh, from a, you know, hand cream or shampoo. It's just that, you know, there's might be a difference in chemicals, but it, it is the personality of those brands. And uh, I don't know if you've seen that or, uh, you know, if you had any thoughts that way. Well, I, I think that there is a lot of, uh, you know, about brands crafting a, a look or a following like some people want to be the the you know the dependable honda of their industry while others want to be the lexus and you know and and then there are those who want to be a really you know inexpensive uh, sort of consumer driven product and it really is sort of defining your space 
aligning it with your existing customers, or you can also send your future customers on a different journey. So maybe you're just a commodity and all of a sudden you're thinking, I want to be more of a premium brand. So as a result, I'm going to have to do things that are more of a premium experience. It, you know, it may be the pro uh, changes to the product could be to the changes to the onboarding in which you invest a lot of time, energy, and training to really bring people on board and get them to use your products uh, well. Um, there are so many different ways in which you can sort of differentiate yourself and, 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 and build yourself out there. And I think that that's one of the things that you have to do as a small business owner, because if you don't have a USP, uh, I do think that it does hinder your growth and makes it very difficult to survive long term. Yeah, and absolutely. And um, and it's not only about being different. Uh, it's also having a reason to believe in what you're saying, you know, say, well, I am the whimsical brand, but you have to have credibility. And, um, and, you know, in, in depending upon your business, if you're like a, you know, a small, uh, a high tech startup or some something else or an entrepreneur, then, you know, one of the things that uh, that seems to come to the fore is the credibility. How does that help the the small business uh, overall to, uh, to generate more business? Well, credibility is extremely important because one of the things that people do when they visit a new website or interact with a new company is they they have this uneasiness. Is this someone I can trust with my credit card? Is this someone that's going to give me the product or service that I really need? And so if, if you have uh, credibility, it really is sort of, uh, you know, like the best credibility is like third-party corroboration. It's like social proof. Um, and media is one of the things that is so easy to do that creates that. Um, when a journalist writes an article about you, it's like an implied endorsement. And that credibility goes through the roof. Um, it's not unusual for my customers to come to me and say, hey, the traffic we got from these articles converted at 20%, 40%, or even higher. And the reason for that is because um, they, they, these people read an article and either clicked through or did a search and found them after looking at that article. And there was this goodwill that was created and they uh, want to do business with that company. They're not going to create a new window and go see if they can find it cheaper on eBay or Amazon. They want to do business with that company they just read about. And that's very powerful. It is uh, the blinders that are created with advertising just aren't there when it comes to uh, this type of, uh, you know, uh, credibility that's created through the media. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And uh, so what are maybe three things that really define credibility? Uh, you mentioned social proof. Uh, any Anything else that you would uh, you could help out in just defining, you know, how that uh, credibility comes to fore? Sure. So. Anytime that, uh, you know, I, I worked with a local carpet company in New Jersey, not very newsworthy, but we put our thinking caps on and we're able to find some avenues for them to get media attention in several floor trade publications. It's not their customer base, but it is their industry. They put them together in a big brag book. And when they go give quotes to someone, they're like, hey, uh, you might get... Uh, 
you know, cheaper quotes from other people, but we've been around for X number of years. And as you can see in here, we've been recognized nationwide by Floor Trade Weekly, this publication, this publication, and we really know what we're doing. And when uh, they started doing that, they started converting 14 to 17 percent more of their leads mm. because people said, hey, these people know what they're doing. We could save four hundred dollars and go with the other guy. But these people, they're they're recognized in their industry. They are, are in uh, publications. These, this, these other guys aren't. They're just a local company. And so they're willing to spend a little bit more and they're much more willing to, uh, you know, convert into a customer uh, because of that. Other things that I think are, uh, you know, that 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 lead with credibility is, uh, you know, getting getting the attention that you deserve or being comfortable putting yourself out as an expert, um, you know, often by doing uh, press releases and getting yourself out in front of the media is you're you're presenting yourself as an industry expert. And I do think that that somehow repositions you and makes you a little bit more of a leader and gives you a little more credibility when you're front facing with customers or leads. And I think that that is also a place from which it's easier to convert from because people like to naturally uh, work with leaders and people that they see who are presenting themselves as experts. No one wants to have uh, their basement redone by someone who says, oh, we're not experts. We really don't know what we're doing half the time. Uh, which may be the truth, but you, you really don't want that. Um, I, I, I got a quote once for a, uh, a basement uh, retrofit, and the company gave me a book that they had written uh, about how to do your basement and the things to look for. And I went through it, and I'm not going to do it myself, but it was an interesting book, and it definitely shot their credibility through the roof because it's like these guys wrote a book. Um the marketer in me is like, did they really write this book or is this one of these white label <laughs> things? But from a marketing standpoint, I appreciated it. And it really made me feel that they were, you know, very serious about, uh, you know, their work and what they do. And I, I think that these are all signals that you send potentially to customers and leads. And um, it's easy to take advantage of these things and provide that, you know, that social proof, that third party corroboration and take advantage of that implied endorsement that happens when a journalist writes about you. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I detected a little bit of uh, marketing cynicism there on books. And uh, now, of course, I and I'll have to bring it up. I mean, it was a perfect segue. So this is my latest book, The Post-COVID Marketing Machine. And to your point and uh, about credibility, no question about it. When I uh, when I bring up that book or any of my other books that are here over my shoulder, uh, the credibility goes through the roof. I, and I think you're you're absolutely right. And um, and I can see as well, to your point, I really like that concept of the brag book. That is uh, that's really good. And uh, I'll have to uh, think about how I can use that in my own business uh, and, uh, you know, have them because, you know, everybody's got referrals and quotes and, hey, we did this, we did that. And, uh, you know, so I, I really like that. I'll uh, I'll have to uh, uh, work through that. Uh, thank you for that. So. Um, <clears throat> now, uh, what about uh, some good uh, case studies? Uh, like, uh, what what kind of a case study do you have that we could maybe talk about and uh, that that uh, that people could really relate to? 
Um, I guess, you know, coming out of COVID, uh, I have a case study on the website about uh, the Dining Bond Initiative. It was set up uh, uh, by a, a small PR firm uh, that asked me to send the press release for them. And it was basically uh, this, this effort where while restaurants were closed during the pandemic early on, uh, you could nominate your favorite local restaurant. If they were able to get in touch with them, uh, you could basically give money that would sort of be secured through what they call a dining bond, basically a gift certificate. And the money would go directly to the restaurants. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the release I sent, you know, $350 is what it would have costed, uh, cost to get out there. And uh, it generated in excess of $10 million in revenue, over 150 articles, uh, hmm. Wall Street Journal wrote about it. All the food trades wrote about it. Hundreds of newspapers locally wrote about it. It, you know, I I, guarantee, I, I challenge any marketer that says, hey, turn $350 into 10 million plus. Uh, <laughs> that was an example of it. It's an extreme example of the leverage opportunity that PR can have. If you have a message that really resonates, you can really go viral because through our service, you go through a newswire, as well as uh, some email distribution that can happen as well. And it really is available to everyone. And I, I know that the reason this one did so well is there was a lot of negative news, uncertainty in the world about COVID. Like, how, is it really going to be just shut down for two weeks? What's going on? And uh, all of a sudden, here was positive news, something you could do to help your local business. And uh, you, your your favorite local restaurant could 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 get a few hundred, few thousand dollars by by the local community, and it allowed people who were sitting at home scared to do something. And I think that that's why it did so well. And you know, if you if you can build a story or a groundswell or something like that, you can go really far with PR. But you don't have to. I mean, uh, a lot of my customers routinely we'll just say yeah we we've done a few releases and we can uh, attribute 30 to 80,000 dollars this this quarter to our PR efforts and things like that which is 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 really great for them um what's more challenging is uh the the marketers who are doing a lot of stuff and they're also doing PR and they're not really sure what can be attributed to PR because it's difficult to measure. There's not like a tracking URL that you can use. So it really does take a bit of uh, guesswork or really having a tight um, sales process where you're, you're, you're contributing the sales to particular uh, referrals and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, especially for, uh, uh, you know, smaller businesses that it, it, you have to be uh, very meticulous as to, you know, where did the lead come from or whatever. And, and I think that makes a big difference because then once you kind of see and get that ball rolling, then you can, uh, if you can attribute it to your PR efforts, then you can continue and really invest in some even maybe uh, more unique kinds of things to get even more press and then continue to enhance that. Uh, you know, there's a lot of PR today uh, in, well, in the news uh, about uh, Bud Light and Target and a couple of other things, any uh, any thoughts that you'd like to uh, uh, mention about them, or would you rather not touch it? Or no, I I think that it, it's really important that any type of messaging that you do, that you be mindful that you don't alienate your existing customer base, and any time that you embrace 
or celebrate a controversial community or a part of the community, it, it, it does have the ability to create backlash. Um, you know, that being said, you shouldn't necessarily be making all of your decisions based on what could be. And you just have to say, I, we are, we're comfortable embracing this, this community. And if there's backlash, there's backlash. Um, you know, so, so uh, my understanding is the people that own Bud Light also own many other brands. So any loss of Bud Light is probably a gain for others. And so there's no <laughs> net loss for the ultimate owner of of, of Bud Light, uh, which is the ironic thing. And uh, but I, I do think it is an interesting lesson for people to understand. Uh, in the case of Bud Light, it was a very small a little campaign with an influencer. It was never meant to do anything but just excite maybe <laughs> that new little community. And it it blew up in a completely different way. And I think that you have to be aware that I think that that happens because social media especially can go viral very quickly. And you can't keep talking to little segments exclusively within those segments and feel like it can't bleed over to every place else. And uh, I think that's the biggest lesson that'll come from this because uh, I'm pretty sure that the main marketing drivers at Bud Light had nothing to do with that influencer campaign. It was probably just a small little offshoot where they said, hey, let's throw a few dollars to some uh, TikTokers and see uh, if we can create a little bit of buzz in uh, this community. And it sounds great in practice, but you don't realize how, um, you know, it, once once the narrative's out there and it's moving, you can't control it. And it can really have a, a, a negative backlash. Mm. Well, and it certainly did, uh, you know, for for Bud Light. Um, you know, one of the other things which I, I think is uh, is uh, was surprising was, you know, going back was uh, I think it was called Dieselgate with a, a Volkswagen. And uh, and they ended up, um, uh, you know, OK, so they definitely made some mistakes. There was, uh, you know, there were employees that, you know, purposefully tried to manipulate the outcomes of inspections and all kinds of stuff. And, uh, you know, what ended up happening, though, which was really uh, amazing, is that they then became one of the biggest automotive advertisers after that. And they then within uh, I think it was within two years they were able to primarily through just, you know, keeping their head down and focused and, hey, we made a mistake. They were able to, through through that effort and through that advertising, to become the number one selling automotive brand in the world. And, uh, you know, so talk about a recovery, um, man, oh, man. And so I wonder if the same thing can happen now with Bud Light. They, you know, they, they keep their head down. They focus in on the, you know, on their on their target audience. They don't try to do anything that's really out of hand. They stick with the Clydesdales and, uh, you know, and then try and just rebuild. And, and it's possible that when they rebuild, they could come out even further ahead than where the, than what they lost here in the short term. Exactly. I think that Volkswagen, you know, some of the things that they did, rather, they, they completely acknowledged what happened. They created programs to buy back cars. And, uh, and, and even more importantly, for new cars that they were selling, they uh, greatly increased the warranty uh, mm. for a few years, said, hey, we've, we've lost your trust. And to put it back in there, we're going to uh, almost double our warranty. And I think all of those things really 
came as indicators of this is a company that's really trying to be uh, real and relatable and honest and, you know, and, and acknowledge the mistakes that they've made. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think you're right. I think, and they did a, a wonderful job at that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I hate to see a, a good brand. I mean, I, you know, there are a lot of global brands that I would, you know, think are, are very good. And, and, uh, you know, you never want to see a, 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 a large brand like that stumble and fall. It just, uh, it's, you know, there's just too much riding on it. Um, so we teased uh, with AI and AI and PR. So uh, let's talk a little bit about that. How can we use artificial intelligence, in particular generative uh, artificial intelligence, uh, to help us with our PR efforts? So uh, I played with uh, AI. I find it very fascinating. Uh, I find what it writes to be very professional and it's readable to me. I plugged it into a few websites to say, test whether it's written by AI and it, they all fail. They said, this is like 12% written by human and 8% written by human. It, it does, it's mostly AI. And so I think that's interesting. If I was going to write content and put it on my website, I don't think I would lean on AI because I think Google will eventually uh, penalize AI content. I just think that knowing Google's always been about if you have links, they have to be organic links. They can't be like farmed links and created links created just for SEO. So I think that creating content for AI just to build on websites, I think that Google's not going to appreciate that. That being said, though, when you write a press release, you're issuing it to the media for the media to turn into an article. The end result is to have an original article written by the journalists not the it's not based off it's based off the press release but it's not the writing of the press release so i think that a press release is a prime example where i don't think you can get into any trouble uh using that uh, the areas that i found ai to be really great as at, at organizing and you know uh, crafting uh how a message should should be structured um if you you really have to know what you're writing first so if you just went to AI and said, write a press release about a company that does this, I don't think you're going to end with a good result. But if you were like, hey, um, you know, we've noticed a trend in our industry, uh, you know, about the adoption of electric cars, and it seems like a natural progression. And, you know, we want to do a contrarian article press release. Contrarian press releases work really well in the media. Mm. And I can go into detail as to why, but uh, let, we're going to write about why electric cars aren't so great. And now you go armed with a message and you see if the AI can uh, flesh some of those things out. It may not be able to. Uh, I haven't played with that one in his example, but the types of things you may prompt it with are the mining and minerals that are uh, taken from the environment aren't done in a very environmentally clean way. And there's labor issues. Uh, so that's a, a big red flag with that. Also, you know, all these batteries are being produced. Uh, are, are, are we creating a new uh, problem at the <laughs> landfills and things like that? And not to mention the safety. Uh, there have been a lot of crazy fires started with EV vehicles uh, that just burn out of control. And, you know, a lot of local fire departments don't know how to react and handle those types of things at the, at the moment. So you can really build a contrarian argument and put that in a press release 
And uh, I think AI would be really good at crafting that, that you may have to direct that, you know, I want this next paragraph to be about, let's talk, let's move and talk about the safety of elect, uh, electric cars and things like that. So I, I find it, I find it very useful because a lot of my clients don't feel comfortable writing. They're not like me. They're not English majors. And I think that the AI does a very solid job of, of writing. I've been really impressed with the writing that I've seen come out of uh, chat GPT, for example. Um, I, I, it, it passes my test of like, this is understandable uh, language that I, I, I really relate to and I feel it reads extremely well. And so yeah. I always tell people that, uh, you know, the writing of the press release isn't the most important part of it, but it's, it's gotta be done. And if you can lean on AI to get it done, I think that's great. Um, the, the real meat of a, a press release is the, what the press release is about. And that's where you get more into strategy and building on the types of press releases that matter and uh, can ultimately create uh, uh, newsworthy opportunities for you in the media. Yeah, and I, I, I think you're, you're right. Uh, I, I see ChatGPT, at least at the moment, uh, and this generative AI, I see it definitely as a, uh, a big tool to assist. Um, I don't know if I would go 100% with a, with a, a, a chat GPT uh, written press release or any kind of a document, but I think it can, it can definitely do a great job at structuring the document. It can do a great job at giving you like the top bullets that you need to write about. It can actually write about them, and then you can go in and, and then tweak it as you need to. Um, I've done a handful of experiments on it and I've gotten, you know, good answers and bad answers and, uh, and that's okay. You know, you'd expect, uh, I mean, even, even high school students get things wrong sometimes. So, <laughs> so, but nevertheless, uh, as a tool to support the overall effort, uh, I think it's, uh, it, it's here and it's here to stay. And I think it's just going to continue to get better. Um, and uh, uh, so, yeah, thank you for that. So uh, two last questions before we close. Uh, the first one then is, so we're out of COVID. We're now kind of in this new uh, chat GPT world and uh, whatever. What do you see then as the, the new normal as it relates to getting visibility uh, for small business and even large business? I think that things are becoming a bit more fragmented from a marketing standpoint. Um, I, I know a lot of business owners who all they had ever had to do was cut on Google ads and run a business. And that's all they ever thought about. And you're like, uh, do you know a lot about marketing? Yeah, I'm a marketing expert. I have a Google ads campaign, generates all the profit I need it to be. And that's it. I think that it's getting fragmented. You're going to have to develop skills in a lot of different areas of marketing. And one of those is sort of honing your brand and getting it out there in front of your uh you know, potential leads and customers. And I think that uh, PR is, is a natural, easy place for you to do that and to be effective and to ultimately stand apart from everyone else. So few people use PR, especially small businesses. And what they don't realize is small businesses are the ones that benefit the greatest from PR. It's, it's easier to get a story as a small business than it is a large business. Uh, you know, journalists don't like to write soft stories for the big, well-funded company that can afford to advertise. They'll often do a soft story for a mom and pop 
or a startup or an entrepreneur or an author uh because it you know these people are are are, are humans and we like to help the small guy more than others <laughs> and also journalists like to be seen as curators and it's hard to be seen as a curator where you say hey i've found this great little company you probably never heard of it it's microsoft oh and here's google you know that no one's going to be interested but if you're saying hey here's some software that i found in this space uh, from a small startup, uh, you know, that that's the kind of thing that people go, yeah, that's great. I'm going to do a little research and find out more. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And I think you're right. I think uh, from a newsworthiness, uh, Microsoft and Google, they are going to get the press when they do something big and they announce, you know, the Windows 12 or Windows 13. They are going to get the news on that and they are going to get the news when they fix a bug or whatever it is. But it, it is kind of like the more interesting stuff is, hey, there's this company around the corner and they are doing some really cool stuff in blah, 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 blah. And 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 people are interested in that. I think people just want to see the uh, the small guy winning. So I, I think you're right. There is a, a lot of room for the small businesses to to get that visibility through PR. I, I think that's why Kickstarters and Indiegogo's have done so well in the mm. media. I, 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 I come across articles all the time where someone, uh, a writer highlights a Kickstarter or Indiegogo campaign. And I think it's, again, trying to support small businesses, but it's also they're doing something a little bit different because generally when people do a Kickstarter or Indiegogo, they've determined a little niche that no one else has served yet. You know, and so it's 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 a unique approach, or they're doing something a little bit different, and I I think that that's why they they do really well with the media. Yeah, I agreed absolutely. Uh, so last question, this one I, uh, I I think is very interesting. So, uh, what advice would you give a new up and coming marketer? I would say, uh, you know, try to learn as much as you can about everything but pick and choose what you want to become an expert in and do talk to other marketers, uh, figure out what uh, works for them. Uh, I, I belonged to a marketing mastermind for many years and I found it very valuable to talk to other people and how they're marketing and what's working for them. Um, and also to get them to look at what I'm doing and what opportunities I might be missing. Uh, one recommendation I got from my marketing mastermind days uh, probably generates about $600,000 a year to me today and has ever since I incorporated it probably about eight, nine years ago. Wow, that is uh, fascinating. I, I agree with you. I think, uh, uh, you know, quite often kids coming out of college, they think their learning is done and uh, and yet, in reality, it has just begun. What you've learned in college is you've learned how to learn. Now you have to actually learn to know something that is really uh, that has some economic value and can, you know, pro provide you a living, provide you know a living for your family or whatever as you as you get older. Yeah, thank you for that. That's very good. Um, well, thank you, uh, Mickey, so much. Uh, it's great to have you as a participant on our on our podcast. And uh, as you know, this will be in uh, both Apple and Spotify and also on YouTube. But uh, before we close, where would you like viewers to go to learn more about you and your company? Right. So our, our website is ereleases uh, at ereleases.com. And all my social media is there on the lower right. 
Um, I do have a free masterclass that I think is really great for anybody who doesn't know a lot about PR and is open to considering it. And it's less than an hour long. It's a video masterclass at ereleases.com slash plan, P-L-A-N. And it goes through lots of winning strategies that work often with uh, press releases. And they're the types of things that you could probably run an audit of your business through these and build your own little PR campaign of like, hey, here's six or seven great ideas I could do. And these ideas are probably going to result in earned media, the articles that we were talking about. Yeah, fantastic. So that is ereleases.com, ereleases.com, and then ereleases.com forward slash P-L-A-N plan. And that's a a free masterclass. And uh, be honest with you, I might even take uh, take, become a participant in that as well. So uh, thank you for that offer. And hopefully, uh, you know, you'll get a, a number of different people that'll uh, join you from this uh, podcast. Oh. So uh, for the audience, please stay tuned for many other videos in this series of the backstory on marketing. Please visit marketingmachine.prorelevant.com and download the first chapter of my book and many other valuable excerpts. And by the way, don't forget to sign up for more episodes and this podcast series. And if you like this podcast, please rate it with five stars. Mickey, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you.